Well, there's kind of a big game coming up on Monday for all the marbles, the national championship. We thought who better to give us some perspective on the Washington Huskies than the voice of the Huskies, Tony Castricone. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I guess first question, you guys have a very able-bodied quarterback in Michael Penix Jr. Does everything run through him? Yeah, I'd have to say, I mean, one of the big things that has emerged for Washington over the years or over, over the course of this year, rather has been their ability to run the football, but 100% it's, it's um, just how dynamic and explosive the passing game can be, which I think makes this a really compelling matchup. You know, Michigan in, in so many different metrics is the number one defense in the country and, and Washington is, is number one or near the top in almost every offensive statistical category. And, and it's Penix's ability um, to, to kind of lead the team, to give them confidence, and then also just put the ball with such precision downfield uh, to a bevy of different playmakers um, where only the Husky wide receiver has a chance at getting it. He does that at such a high percentage rate that uh, it's been really fun to watch. And, and obviously we're all biased, but we think he should have won the Heisman Trophy. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that I do, too. Uh, I, I think that he's certainly the best quarterback that Michigan has seen all year. Uh, but I also think this is the best defense that your guys will see all year, especially coming off the performance against Alabama with, what, a half dozen, seven sacks, something like that. How do you think, Michael Penix Jr., if, if we see that kind of pass rush, how, how will he withstand that? Yeah, I think that's what makes this such a compelling matchup is it's the contrasting styles, right? I think, you know, um, Washington has faced really good defenses. I think Oregon twice, um, you know, has uh, some of those huge bodies up front and the ability to get after the passer. And I think Texas presented the same challenge in the semifinal. But, you know, Michigan, again, statistically is the best at that, right? So um, what, what I thought was really impressive about Penix and his performance in the in the Sugar Bowl was not just the 430 yards and the two touchdowns and the no interceptions. It was as the pocket and as the pressure would come and as the pocket would get all sort of, you know, uh, mangled, he would find that little spot where he could sneak into it, reset his feet, and then fire. And his ability, I think even particularly if you, if you see – uh, one play where he throws a long bomb up the left sideline to Michigan State transfer Jeremy Bernard. Uh, he's got pressure in his face, and he's just flicking the wrist as he spins around and um, throws that just on a on a dot, you know, 30, 35 yards down the field. So it's been his ability to do that and do it in the biggest moments time and time again that I think gives Washington a lot of confidence in the offense. Let's talk about discipline. I believe Michigan is the most disciplined, least penalized team, and Washington is the second most. Could that <laughs> be a problem? You know, uh, what's so funny about you asking that is I think the, the, the wisdom would say, yeah, absolutely. And yet, uh, as I've just followed this over years and years, there are very often you will find really highly penalized teams that end up really good. Um, I think when we played in the Rose Bowl five years ago against Ohio State, they were the third most penalized team in the country. I think some of that has to just do with aggressiveness. Um, and now if you're committing really foolish personal foul penalties and that sort of stuff, that, that I think is discipline. If you're jumping too much with false starts, that's discipline. I think if you're being really aggressive, 
um, and and um, those sort of things, like maybe a pass interference that's that's probably a better option than giving up a long bomb, those sort of things. I think the kind of penalties that really have hurt Washington this year are just the drive extending ones. Um, when a really dynamic offense is in a third and five situation and the Huskies kind of just, they're a little too eager to get after the quarterback and they, they jump across the line of scrimmage offsides, just trying to time that cadence out just right. And, and the Huskies have two of the best edge rushers in the country in Zion Tupula Fatui and all American Braylon Trice. Those guys both jump kind of a lot um, in, in, in their, in their effort to try to time out the snap just right. So they will take some chances and I think they're, they're okay with, with making some of the mistakes that are calculated risks or aggressive in nature. So those are the kind of things that um, have, have usually been the penalties, but yeah, they really can't afford any mistakes. Uh, neither team can afford any mistakes um, to win a national championship that, that aren't absolutely necessary. So for those of us that were too busy celebrating to actually watch the Sugar Bowl um, and didn't get a chance to key in on the Huskies' performance, talk to me about your receiving, your receivers, and who, who uh, Wolverine fans should be watching for, who you think your most dangerous man is beyond Michael Penix. And well, the, I, you, they have a good uh, tight guy. Yeah, they, they really have so many options, and I think that's what makes the offense so dynamic. Rome Odunze is number one, and I think that he is – uh, probably the best receiver in the nation. Michigan fans might not hate to hear that. We, we think he should have won the Bolitnikoff over Ohio State's Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, he just rises to the occasion time and time again. He is extremely strong and fast, a lethal combination, and he wins an extraordinarily high percentage of contested catches. So number one is an All-American, and, and we absolutely love that guy. A couple of Jalens are guys you're going to want to keep an eye on. Number two, Jalen Polk. Number 11, Jalen McMillan. McMillan has spent much of the year injured but is now fully healthy, and all three of those guys are explosive. Number four, Jeremy Bernard is a Michigan State transfer who has provided depth. Number zero, Giles Jackson is a Michigan transfer who also is a speedy little slot receiver, and he's been injured much of the year as well, but he's now healthy and ready to contribute. And then multiple sixth-year tight ends in Devin Culp and Jack Westover. Um, there's a lot of options in this offense. So what Michigan name is giving the Washington preparation some difficulty? You know, you know I, I'm getting ready to talk to the, the coaches and players for the first time this week here momentarily. But to me, it's Blake Corum. I mean, just if you look back to that game in 2021 when Washington played in the big house, I don't think they, they threw for more than 50 yards. I mean, it was just running, pounding the ball time and time again, 344 on the ground, if I remember right. And, um, well, you know, a lot of these guys were on that defense, right, and, and took that really personally. And Blake Corum dominated the game, had the explosive 67-yard touchdown run. So that's who we remember. That's the only skilled position player in college football scored in every game this season. He is, to me, if they find a way to just – you know, just limit him, just make it kind of tough for him on first and second down and put Michigan in third and long, then they're going to have a lot better chance. But if Blake Corum is able to do whatever he wants be behind that big physical offensive line, that, that, that could be a really frustrating day for Washington. 
Um, well, I, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup. Number one versus number two, does it get any better for the national championship? No, no, that's about as good as it gets, right? <laughs> and I think for Washington, um, you know, I think the, what's really cool is these are two proud programs with a ton of tradition and history. Um, and, and just really, there's so many overlapping similarities, you know, uh, great academic schools, uh, programs that have been winning for a hundred years and, and programs that have crossed paths a lot in, in huge Rose Bowls over the years. You know, last time we won a national championship was in 1991 and that was Washington beating Michigan to, to put the exclamation point on a 12 and 0 season. And so I just think this is a classic Rose Bowl type of matchup, right? Um, and it's for absolutely everything. And what more could you want if you're a fan of either program? And for if, if, and finally, Tony, when when you look at the intangibles, you know, with Michigan, we've been watching all season as this Michigan versus everybody mm. kind of narrative has developed with with the suspensions and things like that. Um, what's going on on the Washington side? This is going to be, you know, what intangibles might be working to their advantage. It's going to be your entry into the Big Ten uh, for a lot of Big Ten viewers and fans. Also, it's it's going to be uh, your swan song in, in that conference. Yeah, I think, you know, from a Washington perspective, it started out as the slogan in the preseason, uh, us versus us. I mean, they really just believe if they don't beat themselves, if they put the hard work in and if they maximize their own potential, that potential, that possibility is a national championship. And so they're trying to block out all the other outside noise and they really don't have a whole lot of controversy around the program. I mean, I think if if anything, there's a big chip on the shoulder because they know and they see what they've been all year. And yet they're continually doubted by the national media. They are continually bet against by folks who have a financial stake in Las Vegas. They just don't seem to get the respect across the country. And, and we've said it. And, and I think we've seen it. Like, I mean, if that logo on the side of the helmet was, you know, uh, a USC Trojan or, a, you know, a Alabama Crimson Tide or whatever, I, they might have a Heisman winner. They might yeah. be favorite in this game. They just have not gotten the respect. So I think that's what Washington is, is kind of embraced that as their identity. They are underdogs and uh, they're, they're happy playing that role and uh, playing with house money as they hope to shock the world. I think this is going to be a fantastic matchup over under 55 and a half. The Wolverines going for their first title since 1997. Tony Castricone, thank you so much for your insight. Yeah, thank you for having me. And we should point out, Tony's a Columbus guy and also has called some games uh, for Michigan. Also uh, was uh, on with uh, Frank Beckman over the years. Uh, good guy. Time for Automotive Views, brought to you by Bridgestone. Getting people down the road matters, but getting generations down them, that's what really matters. Bridgestone, visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. CES is next week in Las Vegas, and it's going to be a decidedly less Detroit-flavored event than in recent years. None of the Detroit Three are participating. It's odd that the trade show that dominates early January and effectively forced Detroit to find another time to hold its auto show won't have any of our local automakers on hand. Stellantis was planning on being at CES, but then it pulled out last fall during the UAW strike. At the time, it also bailed on SEMA and the Los Angeles Auto Show. 
Now in 2024, it's looking at events on a case-by-case basis and choosing to skip Chicago, Toronto, and North Texas shows or leave them to dealers to support. It is the dealers who benefit most directly from the boost in consumer interest and attention that follows an auto show. So for now, more of them are going to have to pay for it. With this week's Automotive View, I'm Jamie Butters, host of the Daily Drive podcast and executive editor of Automotive News.